great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And the queen is dead. She's dead. She died. Deal with it. <laughs> and Charles is king? Does that mean that Camilla is queen? No, Camilla has like some other title. Yeah. She's not queen. She can't be. She can't be queen. Yeah. I mean, if there was a dying wish by Queen Elizabeth, it would be that Camilla not be queen. <laughs> what a downer. Like... <laughs> Who wants Prince Charles, I'm sorry, King Charles III or whatever his name is, to be king? But That's Im- like such a letdown. But imagine becoming king at 73. Imagine getting the promotion you've been waiting for your entire life, seven years after most people retire from their jobs. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, I hope that the queen was like greeted by the angel ghosts of all of her corgis. <laughs> When she walked through those pearly gates. She did, but like holding the leash is Diana. And then she realizes she's in hell and then the dog's just like. (laughs) She can never get to the dogs. She keeps searching for them. Well, this is shit that our listeners may care about. I know our friend Stephen definitely would, which is in weeks prior when the queen's health was called into question, Many uh, chronically online people like myself who have a preoccupation with a woman named Trisha Paytas were concerned because Trisha Paytas is nine months pregnant with a child that she has chronicled her entire pregnancy, her fertility journey, and she's having a girl. And so there started to be this joke of like, let's hope the queen holds on long enough so she's not reincarnated as Trisha Paytas's baby. (laughs) Chelsea? Trisha Paytas went into labor last night as the queen was dying. It's very possible that Queen Elizabeth is being reincarnated as like a devil YouTuber's child. That's perfect. Yeah. I love that for the monarchy. I texted my friend Brie. I was like, if Trisha names her child Elizabeth, I'm going to die. That's beautiful. I hope she does. In other... Less depressing news. We met Shay Diaz. I know, guys. Can you believe it? <laughs> Not Sada Ramirez's character on And Just Like That, a man named Shay Diaz. So a couple of weeks ago, a friend informed me of the fact that the filmmaker Greg Araki, who we both love, who we've definitely mentioned in passing several thousand times on this podcast, has a boyfriend named Che Diaz. And this was noteworthy to us because we already knew that Daddy MPK and Greg Araki were friends because Daddy MPK disclosed this in a recent Variety article. So obviously he knows this man. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. So then we're at our friend's party and who walks through the door but Greg Araki and his boyfriend. And we're like, oh my God, it's Che Diaz. Yeah. In the flesh. Which now I'm obsessed with Michael Patrick King being like very into Greg Araki's life. So I'm now attuned to what other Greg Araki Easter eggs might show up in season two of And Just Like That. Yeah, we talked to them. They're the most fabulous people. They love And Just Like That. What about James Duvall as a Carrie boyfriend? Oh, I love that. But yeah. And they did say that Daddy MPK gave them a heads up before the show came out. But how could you possibly prepare for that? 
No, you could never. I mean, they weren't weirded out by it, but I would be weirded out by it. It would be like if you wrote a random non-binary comedian character named Tatiana Waterford. And we're like, by the way, guys. Also, that quote that Greg Araki gives in the Variety article on Michael Patrick King's behalf makes so much sense now, which is congratulations. You have in the character Che Diaz someone that everyone is talking about. Yeah. He's like, thank you. Of course. I agree. My Che Diaz is fabulous. So that was a big thing that happened in our lives this week. I don't know if your brains are melting as much as it did in our minds when we first discovered this fact. It's not known. It's not known, but there is an unconfirmed history of Michael Patrick King naming beloved Sex and the City characters after interesting people in the zeitgeist. It has been told to us and, and rumored that Aiden Shaw, Michael Patrick King, named after a famous gay porn star named right. Aiden Shaw. For sure. He's hot. He's, he has a really, really cool look. Well, we love a porn star turned male model. Obviously. Um, he did that with someone else. Oh, I think that was just a coincidence with Richard Wright. Incidentally, the name of a very famous author. Oh, right. Huh. Anyway, what are we talking about this week? We're going to try to keep this a very curated episode of the podcast. Um, I think the most noteworthy thing to begin discussing would be the Venice Film Festival. Right. I feel like it really made a splash this year. Move over, Khan. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Sundance. What does Tribeca have? Robert De Niro and Nobu? Go fuck yourself. It's about the Venice <laughs> Film Festival. We're here for any film festival that delivers fashion on the level of the Met Gala, drama on the level of, I don't know, the Oscars, and pasta on the level of the original Cipriani restaurant, which is in <laughs> Venice. Oh, yeah. Love it. And that fabulous Bellini that they have. Okay, I did a truly psychotic timeline of the whole Don't Worry Darling premiere, which I don't know if you celebrated Labor Day, but I think, again, those of us who are chronically online were just on Twitter refreshing our timeline. And boy, did the Don't Worry Darling premiere deliver. You guys can't see this because this is a podcast, but like, you know, Matthew McConaughey's garage in the first season of True Detective, like that's what Lauren has constructed in her living room. Yeah, I'm, I'm Charlie from that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm connecting the dots here. Okay, let's begin with Harry Styles' arrival to Venice, where he is carrying hand luggage that feels very performative, very clearly a Gucci product placement. How'd you feel about it, Chell? I think it's kind of fun because it reminds me of like 70s airport paparazzi photos like there used to be a point where the paparazzi could come to the gate and I feel like this has a similar quality although of course it's very staged looking he's wearing a 50 piece Gucci luggage set yes it's giving Adida Pallenberg at the Nice airport in the 1960s but something tells me that there truly was nothing in any of Harry Styles <laughs> leopard luggage but many people showed up in crazy amounts of Gucci luggage so did Julianne Moore I forget who else Okay, so now we go to the press conference. Sometime before or after the press conference, Harry Styles and Chris Pine are being interviewed, which is where the now infamous what I like about this movie is it's a movie quote comes from where Chris Pine clearly begins to start dissociating. You know, I didn't ever really have a firm grasp on who he was, but I really don't now that he has a different face. 
Yeah, his... I've always described Chris Pine as if the actor Peter Gallagher did gay porn. <laughs> That's really good. For the record, I do think he looks hotter. Yeah, very much so. He looks... He definitely looks hotter. Um, He's my top Chris. I mean, Chris Men- Messia is the number one. Right. But, yeah, of... That's... Uh, Sharp objects, right? Yes, and six feet under. Right. Okay. But of the four Hollywood Chris's, Pine is at the top. He went to Berkeley. He is regularly photographed outside Skylight Books, picking up books and showing it to the paparazzi. For a long time, he had a flip phone. Okay. Yeah. Seems cool. All right. During the press conference, one journalist is able to ask Wilde if she would like to clear the air about the alleged falling out with Florence Pugh, which Wilde evaded the question by answering, Florence is a force. We are so grateful she's able to make it tonight for the red carpet, despite being in production on Dune. I know as a director how disruptive it is to lose an actor even for a day, so I'm grateful to her and to Denis Villeneuve for helping us, and we'll get to celebrate her work tonight. I can't say how honored I am to have her as our lead. She's amazing. As for all the endless tabloid gossip and all the noise out there, the internet feeds itself. I don't feel the need to contribute. I think it's sufficiently well-nourished. Well, job not well done, (laughs) seeing how the rest of the day went. Well, it actually did nourish us in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, this is something that once a quarter, once every six months, there is just a cultural event that when the internet gets it, you can never get it back. Oh, yeah. And this is one of those things. So all other attempts by journalists to ask about the feud or the Shia LaBeouf of it all is shut down by the panel moderator. Florence Pugh arrives in Venice 20 minutes before the press conference ends. She is seen walking around holding an Aperol spritz in a purple Valentino set, which, <laughs> which you thought, we were texting that day, you thought is what she decided to wear to the premiere. You were like, that's a little out of pocket. I was like, showing up in this Zara outfit is a real fuck you <laughs> to Olivia Wilde. Did you see the like stylists like subtweeting each other thing yeah i did well carla welch posted on her stories like some random like abstract image or just like out a plane window or something random and was like there's more to the story or something yes because florence Pugh's stylist rebecca corbin murray posted a photo of florence in her valentino gown with the caption miss flow right but like surely you'd have to own that Yeah, I mean, I saw today that her makeup crew seemed to have shirts that said Miss Flo written on them. That's cute. Florence Pugh is nothing if not someone with a sense of humor. All right, now we're on to the premiere. The cast arrives for the premiere. Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, and Florence Pugh all keep their distance from each other. Chris Pine and Nick Kroll are seen taking photos of Florence. uh, And then a carefully choreographed photo of the cast is taken where the film's co-stars Gemma Chan, Sidney Chandler, Chris Pine, and Nick Kroll were used to buffer Styles, Wilde, and Pugh so they wouldn't be next to each other. Right, because usually in these kinds of photos, the leads are in the center, followed by the director somewhere in the middle, and then the supporting cast filling out the edges. Yeah, it was really giving a divorced family's first Christmas together (laughs) energy. Okay, I think now is when we can discuss Spitgate. Right. So do you think Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine, or was Chris Pine so stoned that he forgot where he put his sunglasses for a minute? I think he spit on him. Do you not? (sighs) I mean... Chris Pine forgetting that where his sunglasses are makes more sense. But Chris Pine's reaction in those moments are so odd that yeah. it feels like that is how you would react if, if spittle came out of someone and hit your flesh. Yeah, 
it is really the Zapruder film of our time, this clip. I've watched it 10,000 times, and it seems like too much of a coincidence, although we can't really see the spit no. rocket out of his mouth. It would be like a droplet yeah. if it did happen. If anything, I mean, we've all done that accidental liquid leaves your mouth, but you don't mean to actually spit on someone. That still counts as spitting. There you go. So the film gets a four-minute standing ovation, although those in the audience say it would have gone on longer if Florence did not almost immediately exit the theater. Explain this to me. It seems like at the Venice Film Festival, people just like love giving really long standing ovations. Is it indicative of the quality of the film even? Because this got a long standing ovation. Seven minutes, it would have been longer, as you said. But all the reviews were terrible. Right, and we'll get into the reviews in a second. It's a tough barometer because just as a juxtaposition, a film that got booed at the Venice Film Festival would be Fight Club. Oh, so they just like have really bad taste? In this Venice Film Festival in particular, people seem to be obsessed with how long the standing ovations are going for. Like it was in very bad form or very indicative of the reviews that would come out for Noah Baumbach's White Noise, that it only got a paltry two-minute standing ovation, as opposed to today, Ana de Armas and the Marilyn Monroe Blonde film just premiered, and there was a 14-minute standing ovation. That seems wild because I thought that that movie was going to be bad. Well, like I assumed that that movie was going to be bad. Noah Baumbach, I kind of get because his movies, you either fuck with them or you don't straight up. They're all kind of exactly the same. I like them personally, but that's just me. I've never been in a room where someone has clapped for more than 30 seconds. So I don't even know what it would be like to clap for minutes on end. Right. I would do some dumb shtick at a certain point. After minute two, I'd be like, I got to entertain them or something. Yeah. I feel bad. They keep clapping. So as the premiere is happening, the press embargo for the film is lifted because critics saw it the day before. Mm -hmm. So as you're seeing all of them awkwardly avoid each other on the red carpet, the first and mostly negative reviews for the film are hitting Twitter. So the general sentiment of the reviews is, It's a stylish and well-directed sophomore effort by Olivia Wilde with a muddled to very predictable script saved by Florence Pugh's performance. Yeah, I'm sure we'll like it or at the very least be entertained by it. It's very hard to write anything, especially well, and certainly if it's a psychological thriller with a mind-bending twist that you hope the audience doesn't see coming. And I will say that I think critics are enjoying kicking the shit out of this film a little bit. I also think if this drama didn't happen and the makers of this film didn't preordain it as like the feminist version of Get Out or as Wilde called it, the feminine mystique on acid, which I don't even know what that means. Have you never read the feminine mystique? No, I have. But like, (laughs) you're telling me this is a... I think that's a very vivid reference, actually. Uh... I love that. I think that if Wilde didn't do a lot of work to be like, this is an important film, it would be regarded as like a perfectly fine genre film. But we can't have that anymore. Like everything has to be so important. I hear you. All right. In the aftermath, Florence Pugh posts several Instagram posts about Venice that doesn't seem to mention the film at all. A lot of praise for Valentino for dressing her, which thoughts on her dress? Not a serve. I don't understand why everyone is so into it. I just don't really like 
any gown where you see someone's full legs. I thought we were past that naked dress stage of fashion, but we aren't. Although Julianne Moore also wore a very similar dress and like looked pretty fierce, so I don't know. I think it just depends on the person. I find that Florence in Valentino, like the dress that she wore to the couture shows in July where her tits were completely out, and this dress feel very unintentional. Like, oh, I didn't know that this dress was going to be this short, or oh, I didn't know that this dress was was sheer. When clearly she knew what the dresses were going to look like. Yeah, it just didn't add up for me. Harry Styles looked good. Also, I feel like Olivia Wilde's look left something to be desired. It was custom Gucci, and I can completely imagine that the sketch looked fab, but what she actually wore on the carpet was kind of like a different story. There must be no worse feeling than when you approve a sketch for a custom gown, and then it arrives and you're like, oh, that's not how I thought it would look in actuality. Yeah, Carla Welch is a great stylist, but shit happens. So as everyone heads back to work after the Labor Day weekend, all anyone can talk about is did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine or not? So much so that Pine's rep has to release a statement in which they say, this is a ridiculous story, a complete fabrication, the result of an odd online illusion that is clearly deceiving and allows for foolish speculation. Just to be clear, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. This is not, there is nothing but respect between these two men and any suggestion otherwise is a blatant attempt to create drama that simply does not exist. See, that's sus to me because if I was Chris Pine and Harry Styles didn't spit on me, I would be like, I would leave with like, wow, it's insane how much that video looks like he spits on me. But to like gaslight everyone into <laughs> thinking like, oh my God, it's crazy that you guys think this seems like... Mildly sus. Styles, on the other hand, went back to performing his sold-out stadium show, where Wednesday night he said to the audience, I just got back from Venice, where I spit on Chris Pine. That's really funny. I find him an empty vase, but that is funny. Okay, my question is, why was Hillary Clinton there? <laughs> was she? Yes. Hillary Clinton, like, walked the carpet. I don't know of what movie or why, but I thought you might know why she was there. I don't know why she was there. Okay, we'll look into it. Uh, she was at George Clooney's Lake Como <laughs> villa and was like, what else is there to do in Italy this week? There's more. Cause oh my God, how is there more? On Thursday, Vanity Fair dropped their October issue with Olivia Wilde on the cover. There's really nothing new, although I do feel bad for this journalist because it's very clear that after she did the story with Olivia in July, like in the last two weeks, she's had to go back and rejigger her story. But um, Olivia Wilde yet again doubles down that she did not fire Shia LaBeouf. But there is this source that I think explains probably what actually happened. This seems to make sense to me. A source with knowledge of the situation tells Vanity Fair that the truth is a couple of shades of gray. The actor was indeed unhappy with the limited amount of rehearsal time that Pugh had available, and Pugh in turn was uncomfortable with his intensity. LaBeouf is said to have given Wilde an ultimatum. She had to choose between him or his co-star. Wilde chose Pugh. The tricky and quintessentially Hollywood part is that to spare LaBeouf's ego, she seems to have allowed him to believe that he, what he wanted to believe, that he was quitting. Wait, she allowed Florence Pugh to believe that he was quitting? LaBeouf quit? I don't know. Okay. But then why is Florence Pugh still pissed at Olivia Wilde? 
I don't think it's as insidious as anyone is making it out to be. I just think she didn't have the experience she thought she was going to have during the film. Also, her ex-boyfriend, Zach Braff, directed episodes of Ted Lasso, which is Olivia Wilde's ex's show. And evidently, Florence Pugh had a cameo that was cut from Ted Lasso. Okay. Everyone's interconnected. It feels like Melrose Place here. <laughs> All right. So before the Don't Worry Darling Venice drama happened, the news of the festival was Brendan Fraser's triumphant return to cinema in Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, which seems to be the wrestler with an obese man who doesn't leave his apartment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The film garnered a six-minute standing ovation, reducing Fraser to tears. His performance is said to be the odds-on favorite for best actor during awards season. So before we get into the backlash of the film, I got one question for you. Are we calling this the Brenda-sance or the fraser Or the Brendan fraser <laughs> You should decide as the resident fan of his. I know. I'll, I think it's the Brendan fraser <laughs> I'm happy for him. I watched that clip like five times and every single time I cried. I think there's a lot of goodwill for Brendan Fraser, especially with millennials. Although I think The Mummy has just had a lasting impact, especially amongst bisexuals because you have Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Right. At least Never that's- cared about The Mummy movies. <gasps> Wait, is Brendan Fraser in that one where he like is in some bomb shelter but it's like a whole house and christopher Watkins' his dad i'm sorry do you mean blast from the past right okay that's what it was i like that movie yeah <laughs> i'm oh guys i could give i mean if you want deep cut brendan fraser films to like fill the gap before you see the whale or don't see the whale because we're protesting it i'm still not sure what we're doing we're absolutely not protesting it that's insane this is going to be our new favorite movie This is the first movie that Darren Aronofsky has done since our favorite movie, Mother. Yeah, I think us and 17 people saw that film. Look, nothing's ever going to be better than Black Swan because it's not possible, but I'm very excited to see this film. But I understand the backlash, right? Yeah, I think this tweet by Linda Holmes puts it best, which is, I see I'm going to be stuck between how much I root for Brendan Fraser and how much I hate fat suits. Look, I get why people within the fat acceptance movement are not into a movie where Brian Fraser wears a fat suit that's called The Whale. Brendan Fraser. What did I say? (laughs) Brian Fraser. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever his name is. Like that I get, and I generally don't agree with the use of fat suits. I feel like it does take roles away from character actors, but I think this is a unique situation because there are not a lot of 600 pound character actors. Brandon Fraser, while not morbidly obese, is not a thin person, but I also feel like you have to take quality and intent into this situation like this is for all intents and purposes a good film right yeah it's based on a play by samuel d hunter that's supposed to be incredible by the way do you know that there's a queer angle on this yeah he's gay yeah (laughs) definitely seen this movie I mean, personally, I'm conflicted. I do think that the most dangerous thing that's going to come out of this is just the media discussion, because already it's clumsy at best and dangerous at worst. Like, I saw someone on Twitter making the point that it's like, hey, it's one thing, I think, kind of what you were just saying, like, it's one thing for a skinny person to wear a fat suit, but it's totally different when a fat person wears a fat suit. It's like, oh, okay, are we just, like, out here calling Brendan Fraser fat? That doesn't feel good either. He's not thin but he's not like super fat he's a normal looking guy 
would he have a comparable experience in the world to the character that he's playing? Absolutely not. Of course not. But from what I've read online, a lot of people that binge eat are like, oh, this is actually like kind of legit. And I actually did like this movie. But also it's like I've heard that they are humanizing this character. They're not just degrading him. Like it's not like, it's not the same thing as... Gwyneth Paltrow wearing a fat suit in Shallow Hell because A, that wasn't a good movie. The quality wasn't there. And B, the jokes were at the expense of a fat person. It was a cruel movie in a lot of ways. I don't know if this is cruel in the same way. I haven't seen it, but I haven't really gotten that from what I've read. Yeah, I will save judgment for actually going to see the film, but I think Guy Branham makes a great point. He said the most exciting part of the release of The Whale is getting to read all of the ways film critics will apply the full might of their BA in English to the task of describing how gross bodies like mine are. And he highlights this part of a review. The sloppy jowls that consume his neck. The big, wide back and gigantic jelly belly that spills down over its crotch. The arms and legs that are like meat slabs. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Yes. It's really bad. I predict this will be the worst part of it. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so when is The Whale coming out? Unfortunately, it would seem not until December, but this is going to be quite the stacked award movie season for us because another film that was at Venice that I think was made for us is a film with Kate Blanchett called Tar. Oh, that was at Venice? Yes. Ugh. What were what are the reviews for that like? They say that it's pretentious, but like... Who cares? Yeah, she plays an out-of-control, self-destructive lesbian conductor. <laughs> yeah, it does look like Black Swan, but if Natalie Portman was a conductor. Yeah, we're in. Who gives a shit how quote-unquote pretentious it is? This is the most fabulous trailer. I'm obsessed with it. I can't wait to see that. We're so lucky that we have these things coming. Also, there was a new Joanna Hogg movie at Venice starring Tilda Swinton, not in the Souvenir franchise, unfortunately, but I'm sure that's going to be fab also. Great. We're being fed. We are being fed. Also, was that Women Talking movie at Venice? That was at Telluride. But yes, yeah, Sarah Pauly, who is a Canadian actress, she was in the film Go. She herself has become a director. She directed Away From Her, Take This Waltz, has a film coming out this fall called Women Talking, which is about some women that are talking, some... but they're, they're Mennonites yes. and they're talking about sexual assault. In a barn. Yeah. But we'll be there. Oh yeah. Ready for that. I will say the one... I felt asinine thing from this Vanity Fair article with Olivia Wilde. And this is said by her screenwriting partner. But she's talking about like, you know, when I was growing up, I can't think of seeing a woman on a film set directing with a with a child on her hip. It's like, Sofia Coppola exists. I can guarantee you. <laughs> like, I remember seeing, not 10 years ago, a W Magazine editorial where her daughter is in the director's chair with her. What is she working on, more importantly? I don't know, but I need a documentary. And if I have to do this fine about her canceled uh, Little Mermaid film that Universal canceled because it was too dark. As if the story of the Little Mermaid isn't the fucking darkest thing you've ever seen. Any Hans Christian Andersen, Hans Christian Andersen? Hans. Was that a Hans? It was a Hans Christian Andersen, yes. Yeah, it was fucked up. She cut their feet off. Yeah. She, yeah. They're all like basically the fairy tale equivalent of Saw. Well, I can think of no better intro into another edition of Bad News than that. Let's play the theme. 
only on every outfit. Wait, what's the bad news? You had House of Hammer under bad news? Oh. <laughs> right, House of Hammer. Yeah, that is bad news all around. Really, we wanted an excuse to play Lauren's theme again. I only watched 1.5 <laughs> episodes of the three episodes of House of Hammer. Last night, my mom and I just banged out every single episode, of which there's only three. They're an hour long, but they are incredibly dense. So what do you think? Like, And what did I miss, most importantly? So it's super tough to kind of put true crime docuseries into qualitative terms of like, well, this wasn't interesting, but this was when you're talking about real people's lives. But having said that, I will qualify it that way. I did find the Army Hammer stuff the least interesting. I think the history of the family far more fascinating. Like what you learn in the third part is Towards the end of the second part, that girl Courtney reveals that she was in a she was having dinner with Army and his mother, and they get into some fight. Courtney, was that the brunette photographer or the blonde chick in a turtleneck? The blonde chick in the turtleneck, who looks exactly like his wife. Did we ever see the brunette chick return after the first episode? Yes, but it's only to say I got saved and I never had sex with him. And then Because she, did she ever meet up with him? No. Okay, girl, you need to calm down. This woman didn't even meet him. Well, Chelsea, would you be surprised that at the end of the documentary, she she shows off her her art that she's made from all of her conversations with Army? Okay, barf. See, this is what I hate about this, or what I hated about the first episode, because the only person in this movie that is alleging rape refused to participate yeah. in this, felt exploited by the directors that her text, her videos, images of her were used in the film. And everyone else kind of sucks. And no one is alleging sexual assault. Am I correct? Well, uh, the... Or cannibalism. When I was on vacation, I read Ken Arletta's exhaustive biography about Harvey Weinstein. And the book that I would like between Cosby and Weinstein and now Army Hammer is, what is the pathology? Because previously... You know, I understood sexual assault. I felt like I did. But this is different. They have a whole methodology. Like, I need to understand what is with the repetitive thing about ribs and wanting to smoke meat and the shibari ropes. And Okay, a lot of people are into rope bondage, for one thing. Right. His weird cannibal fantasies, I don't know. People are in lots of, people are into lots of weird shit, but there's no evidence that he ever intended to eat someone. Right. And I think it's really insane that that is kind of the marquee thing that's being sold to us about Army Hammer. And they do get into that of how they felt insulted that it kind of almost immediately became a meme. And quite like with the whale discourse, like the media is the biggest fucking problem. Right. And also, I don't disbelieve the woman that leveled the rape accusation against him. I absolutely don't. But I think that the way that it's presented in this and the other stories that are presented in this are tacky. I also have an issue with how well it's directed like when you're talking about such dark things i really don't want this like really slow push-in shot of people as they're being interviewed i do kind of want it a little more stark it feels a little too hollywood and produced but we've discussed this on the last bad news segment there's two things happening happening parallel which is you have extreme fantasy talk 
Which he's using BDSM and picking women that know nothing about that dynamic to be able to push boundaries. Right? These are women. Yeah, he's meeting the wrong girls. Because he wants to. He doesn't want a woman that knows about safe wording. He doesn't want women that know about limits. Hard limits, soft limits, whatever. Because you're correct. He could have gone on fucking Fet Life and found someone who was into this scene, but he wanted to abuse women. I will also say... But how many documented instances of that are there? I'm sorry, not to be an army hammer apologist. Like I said, I think he's a fucking creep. If I saw him walking down the street, I, I would cross the street. But I just don't think that what's described here is sexual assault. And well, it's literally not. They all say, I never said no. The one chick didn't even meet him. Again, the far more fascinating part of the documentary, it feels gross appraising it that way, is the family history where... The sister, Casey, admits that their father sexually assaulted them and alludes that Army Hammer's father was sexually assaulted by the grandfather. And also, the great-grandfather most likely funded the cover-up of Watergate. Okay, I gotta get to the last part. Yeah, I will say what I took away from this film, which is not the point, but a rough take for the film secretary, which, <laughs> like... yes. Like Charlie Rose, Army Hammer showed to women to be like, eh, what do you think of this? And it's like, don't sully the memory of Secretary this way. Also, like, Secretary isn't a very sexy movie, actually. Like, it starts with Maggie Gyllenhaal coming out of a mental institution. Oh, yeah. It's, it's about very damaged, repressed people that can only express themselves in one dynamic and they happen to find each other. It's interesting, though, because have you ever read the, the short story? Yeah, in Bad Behavior. Yeah, it has right. a dark ending. Yeah, <laughs> similar to the Army Hammer situation. Look, I don't want to be insensitive to the woman that accused him of rape. What I'm trying to say is that... These two other women that the producers chose to corroborate her story are doing damage to her case. I agree. And I think that our need for not only true crime, but instantaneous media about true crime has led us to this. And it's yeah. very icky feeling. And maybe that's why I think the most interesting part of the documentary is the discussion of the father, of the grandfather, of the great-grandfather. It also, I can't help but notice that uh, Army's aunt, Casey Hammer, who wrote an expose book that a lot of these TikTok true crime content creators found, and you know that's how a lot of this came out, wouldn't have written a tell-all book if she hadn't been excluded from the will. When the grandfather died, Armin Hammer, Army's father who feels like purposely named his child, Armand, uh, was made the executor of his will and basically cut out his own father and his sister. Yeah, they're all assholes. They are. I wasn't saying that about Casey. Like, that's totally fair. If you're in that situation where you stand to inherit tens of millions, hundreds of millions, right? It's like, I think most people would probably keep their mouth shut instead of writing a tell-all book. Like, it's sad, but... In this economy, being that principled is a tall ask for most people. Oh, here's another crazy thing. So the Hammer family is a Jewish family. When the grandfather... God, haven't they been through enough? But this is the best. So Army's mother is a super evangelical Christian woman. 
and Army's father converted to Christianity for his wife. And when he took over the estate at Arm and Hammer, the grandfather's funeral, declared that on his deathbed, oh no, it was, Ar it was Army's mother's father, declared at his funeral that he had recanted his Judaism on his deathbed and he was, <laughs> he was a Christian now. Oh, because he still, like, believed in heaven and hell and shit? Well, that's completely made up. And then Army's father, <laughs> who was the executor of the will, then donated to very evangelical causes. This family is fucked up. Yeah. Again, it feels weird to appraise it this way, but if you are interested in watching it and somehow have access to the Discovery Plus <laughs> network, I would say more people have access to watching Lena Dunham's sharp stick on VOD <laughs> than watching House of Hammer on Discovery Plus. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, <laughs> I had to watch it at my parents' house. My parents are the only people that have every single app. Movie? Tubi? Discovery <laughs> Plus? But anyway, if you are going to pursue watching it, I would say... Part two and three, which delves into the family history, is far more interesting than the supposed revelations about Army Hammer, of which nothing is settled. There is a legal case pending. So there's not really any there there beyond the stuff that we that kind of came out on the internet last year. Right. So I guess I'm saying watch at your own peril, everyone. <laughs> From one theme song to another, it's time to Kardash. Kardash, a holics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> we were fed this week. Kim Kardashian is on the cover of the September issue of Interview Magazine, and it really caused a stir online. I feel like this got this cover got more traction than any other magazine cover I've seen all year. Bless Mel Ottenberg friend of the show, for actually releasing a September issue in September. Yeah, what a concept. <sighs> so I'm sure you've seen it, but Kim is on the cover. She's posing in front of an American flag. She has like Cherie Curie hair and bleached eyebrows. And her ass is out and she's wearing a jock strap. Mel even had this on his Instagram stories. I mean, the her look is a reference to Chloe Sevigny in Gummo. Yes, but Harmony Corrine did say that that was inspired by Cherie Curie and her sister, Marie Curie, those two sisters that had the exact same look. So I credit it to them just because that's the lineage. Although, yeah, it's Gummo, I think, captures like a real dark Americana... <laughs> or something um, that I think was a cool reference for this. And Kim's already blonde, and, you know, since she slimmed down, we've worried about her ass, and there it is. I'm confused, though. Okay. Because where was it at the Met Gala? <laughs> where did it go? And how did it come back? Actually, though. I think my favorite look is the one where she looks very sad with her bleached eyebrows and the Norma Kamali red bodysuit and the Gucci choker collar. Yeah. It's a really great shoot. I was talking about it with Leslie last night because she had posted it on her Instagram stories and was like, this is amazing. And someone actually responded like, not the Kardashians appropriating queer culture with jock straps. And it's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> First of all, isn't that like queer people appropriated that from like, athletes or something i don't just can we have fun like, no we can't have fun the world is fucking <laughs> melting 
Yeah, it was it was cool. Also, I think the actual physical issue is way cooler than the digital cover because the physical issue says pray for us <laughs> in large letters over the image, which gives it an entirely different context. Like that firmly situates it in a post-Trump, post-Row America. And I think that's cool. These are one of... Well, many times that I wish that I still lived in New York, but just to have the experience of going down to Casa Magazine and getting this issue. I know it's so sad. We have to go to like the Barnes and Noble in the Grove to get no. this. No, there's like four newsstands in LA. There's the one on Fairfax. There's one on Largemont. There's one on South Beverly and there's one in Studio City. Okay, yeah, I'll go to that one. Okay. Mel interviewed Kim and I love how she just like casually reveals amazing things like, she vapes a CBD pen? <laughs> I assume the dosest one because she's not using some like nasty like vape pen like in that beautiful house. The other thing that she just casually reveals is that she's starting a podcast, a true crime podcast. It's called The System. As she says, the first season is all about a really a really crazy case where a guy got the death sentence for a triple homicide that happened in Ohio. There's so many twists and turns with how it was handled or mishandled, and we take the listener along for a journey in search of the truth. Is she the voice behind it? Great. I'll listen to it. I also like that Mel asked her what she would be doing if her life path didn't take her here, and she said, I'd probably have a big vintage resale business or something. I mean, that's a competitive field, but... I'm sure she would kill it. I'm sure she would have ended up starting the real real or something in a parallel universe. Well, she'd personally have like 500 pairs of YSL tribute heels that would need to be <laughs> offloaded somewhere. So it seems like a good foundation for business. And yeah, this has been a stacked week for Kim. It was also announced that she is a co-founder of a new private equity fund called Sky Partners. So we've got Skims, Skin, and Sky. Okay which she co-founded with Jay Sammons, a former partner at the investment firm Carlyle Group. Carlyle Group is the private equity firm that bought a huge stake in Supreme. Right. So this is different than VC firms. So VC, which like Ashton Kutcher has a VC firm and a bunch right. of other celebrities, is private equity invests in more mature companies versus startups. Their focus is going to be consumer and media companies, which obviously Kim has a background in and... I'm very intrigued. Yeah, the, what are they going to invest in? There is a part of me seeing that, you know, Chris started a church so that she wouldn't have to pay taxes, that this is a way for Kim to, how do I say this nicely, uh, launder her money so she doesn't have to pay taxes. But I'm excited to see what they invest in. I mean, that sounds legit. After all, she is, uh, as she described, socially liberal and financially conservative. Okay, Kim. The internet was none too pleased with Kourtney Kardashian Barker, who is set to release a collection with fast fashion brand Boohoo. But don't worry, it's a sustainable brand, Chelsea. It will be unveiled during New York Fashion Week. Did you know what Boohoo was when you read that? Yes, I don't know what the clothes look like, but I do know that they're the ones that bought Nasty Gal. Oh, okay. Yeah, it seems like it's like Shine vibes. Like, I'm seeing, like, $12 things. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's hard to hear that it's a sustainable line, which by sustainable, they mean sustainable polyester. Ugh. And also, the f it's going to be two capsule collections, but the first is 45 pieces. That seems like a lot for a sustainable line. 
Courtney tried to mitigate this in the press release. She said, when Boohoo first approached me to collaborate on a line, I was concerned about the effects of the fast fashion industry on our planet. Boohoo responded with excitement and a desire to incorporate sustainable practices into our line. Okay, this is all bullshit. I have one question for Courtney. Where are all of your Dash clothes now? Actually, if anyone that's listening bought something at Dash and still wears it, can you let us know? So the actual inventory, not to be confused with when they had a fashion line with Kohl's. Either one. Either one. And not to be confused with the Kardashian closet, which is the website where they sell their old clothing. Well, that is actually sustainable. And then lastly, it's been pretty calm on the on the yay front. He did reveal that Adidas, or as your wife would like to say, Adidas, <laughs> offered him a billion dollars to buy his stake in, in the Yeezy brand, which he declined as, he's, as he wants this to be a company he can leave to his children. He also felt the need to explain, oh, and by the way, next year my residuals for my Adidas deal is going to be $500 million. So he like doesn't need that. I guess not. Hmm. What else happened? Is that it? Oh, um, Kylie Cosmetics is releasing their second Kris Jenner-themed collection. I couldn't even tell you what was in the first one. I think I bought something from the first one, but I no longer have it. Um, So I call on you. (laughs) Anyone that still has Kylie Cosmetics, what do you still have? Yeah, but like they've never looked better in the promotional images for this. Like both Kylie and Kris have never looked hotter they both look like the most incredible real housewives of beverly hills they look like incredible middle-aged women i agree with you chelsea yeah and it's very like twisted terry mugler old school type vibes so it feels very dynasty you think one is going to push the other down a flight of stairs or something yeah it is very 80s for sure and i'm into it yeah, so since Kylie's comments, I guess I'll, I'll just uh, tell you what's going on in, in TikTok corner. Since Kylie's comments about how Instagram sucks, she's pivoted to TikTok. And it really seems like the Kardashians are being influenced by influencers. So this week, Kylie got roasted because she was doing a get ready with me. And it's like the least relatable get ready with me. I'm sorry, do you want her to wear like her Kohl's collection or whatever? I, mean, I don't want them to be relatable. I mean, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, but... Yeah. Also, can we just talk about Instagram? Sure. The current state of Instagram, it's getting dark, and I actually wish that more celebrities like Kylie... I mean, Kylie and Kim have said something about it recently on stories. And the CEO reversed his entire position because of what they said. But I wish more celebrities and influencers would get on board because we don't want it to be a video entertainment app. Like, that's not the point of it. And no one that's on Instagram likes making this kind of content. You know what I mean? Like, are you really going to make a reel? It's funny. I posted a clip from Bodies, Bodies, Bodies on my Instagram uh the the podcast bit to promote our last episode and it immediately converted it to a reels yeah i had all no, videos are reels now i had no consent in that i don't like that well it's awkward in its own way because like the aspect ratio isn't correct but it was confusing that they that some videos are reels others aren't whatever they all have different specific restrictions as to length or how they're shown in the feet all this bullshit i don't like it i don't like it i hate 
the suggested posts that you now get in your feed. You can turn it off, though, in case you guys didn't know. But you can only turn it off for a month at a time. Then you have to do it again. Well, that's why we started a podcast. Yeah. I personally wish they would just go to a subscription model. I would rather pay $10 a month to have Instagram just be like not fucked up and trying to make money off me via ads and like how long I'm watching like dumb reels. Like, isn't it horrible? Like when you get in that part of Instagram where suddenly you're just watching reels, like it never happens intentionally. Oh, yeah. They have, yeah, they've sort of followed the Hulu interface where you're watching a show and they're like, hey, do you want episode 25 of season four of Desperate Housewives, a show you've never watched before? It's like, (laughs) no. And like, I've never seen a good reel in my life that wasn't just from TikTok. Like, right. You know, unless we're creating one for a brand and then it's incredible. Then it's great. (sighs) Anyway, end of rant. Is that it? Yeah. Well, next week we will be back with a very special call-in show. We would tell you to call in, but we're about to record it now. Yeah. So there's don't do it. But actually, no, do it. We'll save them for the next one. That's true. I want to do it more often. All right, guys. Thank you very much. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.